0: Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrowlandson.com and sign up right now. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Elisa Iannacone. Hello, how are you? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm doing really well. And you're calling from Mexico, but that's not where you're based, is it? No, I'm generally based
1: in London, but I do travel a lot (laughs) all over the world.
0: And what is it you're traveling a lot for, Elisa?
1: Um, It varies. I'm a cinematographer, but also a speaker, and I generally tend to do shoots internationally. Sometimes I work on art residencies. Uh, Sometimes I'm doing a news report. So it's quite varied. Generally working with cameras, though. And how
0: did you get into the world of cinematography? Um, I initially, well, since I was
1: 12 years old, I knew I wanted to be in filmmaking in some form. And when I went to film school, I thought I wanted to be a film director, only to find out that I wasn't going to be allowed in my first year to direct my own film I had to shoot someone else's and that initially made me quite upset but once I got a camera we were working with like old 16 millimeter cameras and changing the the mags and you know really seeing everything develop and cutting by hand I just kind of fell in love with it and I just loved the process of image making and telling stories through visuals and
0: since then I kind of just fell in love with it. And you had this idea from the age of 12. What was the, the catalyst that sparked it off?
1: I wanted to reach the masses. I thought that, um, you know, I, I think human rights has always been at the core of me. And I wanted to be able to deliver messages and tell stories that might, you know, shape people's mentality or reframe views. And so I thought that film was a really great way to do that. I, I was kind of divided because I also thought law and politics were a great way to do that as well. But at the time, I thought, no, media media can reach more people. Now I realise that they all kind of leverage on each other as a bit of a triangle. You can only take something so far without law and without politics getting involved, so they're kind of a bit of a, a trifecta, and uh, they leverage on each other.
0: So understanding that it was going to be the media that you went into and having that clear vision of filmmaking – you you said that you weren't allowed to direct your own film. What is it you are allowed to do now? <laughs>
1: now I can. No, now um you know I've I've kind of really gone down the the route of exhibitions and art and this kind of thing. And I, you know I, I spent about six or seven years working on a. a Project Raising Awareness on Sexual Violence. Uh, I'm heading to South Africa next to do an art residency for a couple of months to re-exhibit that and then also expand on it. Uh, And so now I, I kind of merge a lot of the things that I've been exposed to. I take the drama, cinematography with documentary, with having been in conflict zones, kind of put it all together for content purposes and then use... Kind of grandiose film set environment to tell stories in a different way.
0: And you mentioned that human rights has always been at your core. What particularly, what element is it that you really want to focus on? I don't think I have
1: one. I think um, due to life experience, I ended up gravitating towards sexual violence. Um, But to be honest, I mean, I've worked in conflict areas in the Middle East, I've worked with, you know, cases of domestic violence in refugee camps. I covered um, the impact of Cyclone Beira in Mozambique, which was a humanitarian crisis. And I I just find, um, I'm just interested in humanity and all of its facets. kind of understanding what we're like in a crisis, what we're like under pressure, because you do find the best and worst behaviors of humanity in these kinds of environments. And it's just that reminder of kind of being composed of light and darkness, uh, which is, Ironically, the way that you compose an image as well, light and darkness, uh, that fascinates me.
0: And you said it was because of life experience. What happened?
1: Well, I I was raped when I was 23 by a first cousin in Mexico. And uh, unfortunately, it has been a very painful journey uh, and kind of cultural confrontation to realize that, uh, you know, Mexico still has a lot of Kind of macho beliefs. Um, My family chose not to believe me, except for my parents. And I basically was disconnected from them for the last decade. Uh, So it's, you know, it's been difficult. It's been a very horrible legal journey uh, that's basically gotten nowhere. And it's just confronting that that made me kind of turn to art to express uh, myself and then also collaborate with other people to express themselves to make a, a stance against sexual violence. And then also explore art as a form of justice when the legal system fails.
0: And I love that you've turned to art to express yourself and, and to, to, to sort of fill in the gaps where the justice has failed, as you say. And you spent the last sort of six, seven years on, on one project alone in this area. What does art do and how does it fill the space that others can't reach? I turned to
1: art a little bit because I was guided there. So it wasn't my initial idea, but uh, at the time, even though this happened in Mexico, I was living in Canada. And I went back to Canada and luckily got access to art therapy through the Canadian government, which at the time I didn't even know was a thing. I didn't know art therapy existed. And, you know, initially I thought it was a bit of a cuckoo environment. I came into a room People were flinging scarves through the air. I was like five minutes late and I just went, oh, I don't think this is going to be for me. (laughs) Um, And then I just kind of gave it a shot and realized that initially words were failing. Now I speak a lot about this, but when it had just happened, I couldn't seem to verbalize what it was that had happened. And I couldn't communicate how I was feeling. So by being able to create and draw and uh, sew or collage, I felt that emotions were coming out. And by listening to other people in a group environment, I realized that a lot of my feelings were mirrored in other people's experiences. And it was in that environment that the first image of myself with broken wings, kind of having the skeletal figure of wings that were once there but were no longer usable. And everyone else was flying, but I was stuck. That came up in that environment. And through the years, I thought one day I'm going to execute on this image. And eventually I started speaking to other people thinking, hey, you know, come over, let's all do our broken wings. Turns out not everybody thinks of broken wings. They're like, what broken wings? What are you talking about? Um, And each person had an image. They're like, I felt like I was underwater. I felt like I was in a cage. I felt like, you know, and everybody seemed to be quite attached to a color surprisingly you know some people were attached to hot pink or to yellow which I thought were impossible colors to relate to in that environment and as a visual thinker I went I think I can execute on all of these images and get a bit of a fragment of everyone's imagination and so decided to turn it into a 24 color color wheel plus black and white so I ended up working with 24 survivors and then my artist statement basically was the black and white monochromatic one I think art is healing. I think art allows your story to be witnessed and heard when oftentimes it is not by the people closest to you uh, and not by the legal system, which oftentimes feels it's designed for you to fail. So I think that it's also something that creates a lot of empathy and allows us to create community. Uh, and it becomes a legacy, right? It's something that you can pass down. People can see in generations to come, and the story will continue as long as people want it to. So, I think that art can really provide a platform that, so far, most other things cannot.
0: It's so powerful, and it has been for for generations, which is why you know we see so much fabulous art in our in our world, and and whether that be in the different forms that it, it comes into. So your 24 color wheel and with the black and white monochrome as well, they representing individual stories. Yes. Tell me more about those.
1: Okay, so 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 basically, for example, there was a woman in South Africa. I worked with people all over the world, and she said to me, she was a victim of incest uh, when she was quite young. And she said to me, I felt like I was placed in a cage, but I couldn't even try to leave my cage because I was surrounded by immediate danger. Immediate danger being her family, right? And so we were thinking, what represents danger in South Africa? Like, what scares you? And she kind of goes, lions. And so I was like, okay, let's, let's use that. And so we literally had her in a cage surrounded by lions in the African savanna, And I said to her, you know, are you comfortable working with lions? Like, is this still, and she was like, yeah, I'd much rather be with lions than people. And so I feel like each person would say something. I had a a man who said, you know, everything around me felt like a circus. And I really kind of catched on to these words, you know, feeling like a circus. And he ended up being the color red. Um, He didn't remember anyone's faces. So we shot with a very slow shutter speed, causing motion blur he was very, very still. And then we froze them. Froze him with a flash. So he's very crisp and everything around him looks very blurry. So it was really kind of taking things that people were sharing that sparked a visual image in my brain, then collaborating with them and saying, hey, you know, this is what I'm getting from what you're saying, giving them a bit of a drawing of it, and then collaborating until they were happy with what was being created. And this was important to me because sexual violence and rape are, about taking power away. And when you think of images of sexual violence, generally they come across black and white. Somebody's holding a sign. Somebody's got a bruise on their faces. And frankly, they're re-victimizing the victim. And I wanted to re-empower people and allow them to tell their story in a way that felt right to them. And this is why the sets, and you know, a lot of people went, why are the images so beautiful? And I'm like, well, why should people not have a right to tell their story in a way that makes sense to them? And why must they be horrendous images if they've already been through something horrendous, right? So it was just kind of subverting that photojournalistic side, which I'd done for so long, <laughs> and and finding a different way of, of telling the same story, I think.
0: And do other people do this, Lisa, or are you sort of alone in this pioneering way?
1: <laughs> um, I found anyone so far I wouldn't go as far as to say nobody is because the world is vast and I'm sure someone out there has done something like this I haven't found someone that's done it in this way and I hope more people do because I think you know it can be applied to anything the moment you think about poverty the moment you think about refugees you know it's always that identical image that stems into our brains to the point where it either causes compassion fatigue in the viewer and we disconnect because we can't handle it Or we just go, oh, I've seen that a million times and we completely desensitize either way. And I just find when you present things in a completely new way, people go, how is that pink plane wrapped in tutu fabric and that ballerina dancer? How is that a rape survivor? How does that tell a story about sexual violence? Suddenly an audience that we think is passive and doesn't care actually cares very, very much. They just don't know that they are capable of asking questions anymore because they feel that they know the story so you know I I just really like working in this way and seeing people ask questions and and kind of spark up and share their own stories as well because they feel able they feel kind of mirrored in the work as well so
0: (laughs) (laughs) so so full kudos back to the Canadian government for providing your art therapy Thank
1: you, Canadian government. It was the YWCA Breakthrough Programme, if anyone is
0: (laughs) interested. So in terms of breakthrough, what else has happened to you, Elisa, that you are pushing forward to achieve?
1: What else am I pushing forward to achieve? Um, Well, I mean, I guess with this same project, one thing that's been quite interesting is um, the involvement of the law side. Um, So the residency that I'm about to go do in South Africa involves uh speaking to therapists about something that's been coined as the spiral method the project's called the spiral of containment rapes aftermath i didn't per se know that i had a method at the time but it seems that i do so i've been asked to um talk to therapists about how it is that you can use it to create this kind of image making or art making based on trauma um so there's that element and then there's the legal element which is working with the constitutional court where we're going to be actually exhibiting the project and hopefully getting a chance to actually present with a lawyer uh, who's been partnering with me in Dublin about how the law needs to evolve to meet survivors. Because at the moment, internationally, I would tell you that it's just Mexico or just, you know, a developing nation. It's not. It's you know, even in the UK, we have so many steps to go. We have problems in terms of geography, where if something happens to someone in one country, they might go to another country and maybe it's not considered rape, it's considered assault by penetration, maybe it's considered sexual assault, maybe it's not considered anything. So we need a unification, an international unification. We need countries to be much more aware of where they're failing and and also where they're also failing abusers, because this culture of crime and punishment, where if someone wins as a survivor, you're meant to take someone to jail. Statistically, that's not what survivors want. These are generally, most of the time, people that we care about and love. So you don't want to see that person in jail in a sexual violence ward where the crime is completely normalized with other people that have done it. Somehow they're meant to walk into society and everything's going to be fine. There's no restoration there's no healing on that side either and so unfortunately the crime keeps on repeating and history keeps on repeating and there's no stopping so we we just we're still really far behind from proper restoration and healing which is I think what I'm still fighting for (laughs) on both sides
0: yeah well Keep, keep on going it's uh, it sounds like an incredible project where you are bringing awareness to to the the globe you know this is not as you say this is not just for Mexico it's not just for London this is, has got huge ripple effects yeah absolutely absolutely so what are you doing in Mexico right now well at the moment completely different uh well a few things actually uh last
1: year was when I finally managed to press charges I I had tried to press charges on my personal case numerous times before and this could take us three hours to explain so I won't go there but basically I only managed to do so early uh gosh I think it was last year and so I have every time I come here I have to push it a little bit forward my parents need a little bit of help and I'm I'm finalizing a project that I had started before training a couple of journalists to take it over for me as I go to do my art residency. So it's been, it's been a several, several kind of things at the same time. But in terms of your, what I think your question is, you know, what else are you kind of doing? I I have a a media agency called Reframe House. And the reason I started Reframe is because I realized that every time I travel to a new country, you know, I, I have preconceived notions that are broken down and changed. And I've worked in 50 countries now, and I still am learning. And I find that reframing and being open to reframing our views is a huge path towards understanding each other and having a more cohesive society. So I use art and multimedia to kind of try and do this, One of the projects I was working on more recently was Prisoners of War in Cameroon. There's currently a a war going on between Anglophone and Francophone sides in Cameroon. Uh, One of those kind of colonialist mistakes that ended very poorly, as so many others did. And a lot of people have ended up in prisons, some without trials, some for life, uh, not knowing when they're going to have a trial. And so I managed to get in touch with a few people that are currently behind bars to work with Cameroonian refugees in South Africa to represent how it is that they're made to feel. Um, And this project was called Humans of the Forgotten War, also using art as a means of expression, as opposed to photojournalism. And we shot in an old apartheid prison in South Africa called Constitution Hill, which is now where they have all their parliamentary gatherings and uh, had Cameroonian refugees wearing Cameroonian animal masks with traditional attire in the cells, just alluding to this feeling of having been left behind and forgotten by society, completely faceless and nameless. Um, Just one more. So there there are many projects that I'm working on that are kind of just trying to transform again these notions oh you know it's just a war it's just it's just one more thing one more problem um but trying to just subvert it to make people actually see it again at least for one more second you know and care a little bit more about what's going on
0: so do you think that your work allows you to access more areas do people feel more um or less reluctant to, to say no to you because they say, oh, you're not a journalist or you're not, you're not pushing forward from other perspectives. I think sometimes people don't
1: understand it. So it takes a lot more explaining. And luckily, you know, the first time I was trying to do it, people were like, I don't, I don't get it. What are you doing? And it took some very brave souls to just be my guinea pigs and then start to say, this is, this is what I'm doing now that I have examples, they go, oh, I get it. (laughs) Um, But I always find that stumbling block. I have to show it so that people can understand it oftentimes. What I do find it does is that it allows us to generate empathy with stories that are way disconnected from our reality, because I find that everyone, you know, even though you've never maybe been in a prison because of war or maybe you've never been in war you can completely connect with the notion of feeling abandoned and forgotten and in a corner and because at some point in your life you might have felt that way you might have felt like you were drowning not because you were sexually assaulted but because you had a horrible incident at work or because you had cancer or because you had something pile onto you and when you see someone expressing how they felt in that way it's kind of when you listen to a song and you go oh my god somebody felt that way too you look at an image and you go, I, I'm i the one that's been in the cage surrounded by lions. It had nothing to do with incest. It had to do with something totally different. And I think that that part generates much more connection amongst the most different kinds of stories, backgrounds and cultures that I don't think news um, and even documentary can achieve as well. Sometimes they can, but it becomes more challenging, I think.
0: So what has been the most challenging sort of experience or, or work that you've had so far? Um,
1: certainly by far, the most challenging thing I ever faced was my own sexual assault by a family member. Because that fractured, you know, my whole belief system on what family is, what it represents, um, what love is, you know, what people you love are supposed to be and and do for you and, and reality of that. Outside of that, I would say covering the Raba massacre in Egypt. That was back, I think, in 2013, where the first democratically-elect president of Egypt, uh, Mohammed Morsi, was deposed by the military. Uh, the now president of Egypt, Sisi, was the head of the military at the time. People came from all over Egypt to protest in this part of kind of out of Cairo called Raba and blocked the streets and there were thousands and thousands of people and the military basically came in and cleared them and the methodology to clear them, you know, initially they tried to clear it. They killed about 120 people and we had field hospitals. It was the worst thing I'd ever seen uh, in a single day happen. And then a few days later, they actually came with tanks and they were snipers from helicopters. And, you know, they always said they were going to come with water tanks. And, and really, they, they did not. It was it was a real butchery of, of a protest camp. And a lot of people died that day. There's no exact figures. You know, Human Rights Watch, I think, puts it at under 2,000. The Muslim Brotherhood puts it at several thousand more. Uh, there's no clarity. I personally counted 250 in a mosque that was turned into a field hospital. And I stopped counting. And it was just not just uh, dangerous to cover it. It was just so hard to see a country turning against itself. It was Egypt versus Egypt. It wasn't Ukraine, Russia. It was Egypt, Egypt, and, and just seeing how far you can go for your political beliefs. And it was painful. I, you know, you you made friends while you were there, and suddenly they were missing. And I worked in mosques and Suddenly they were burnt and you saw a lot of people die. And it was, it was painful, very painful, challenging experience to cover.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Your work is, is challenging in, in that respect and it, it is important. It's important for you to bring these stories to light. Do you, so where does the purpose piece fit in for you?
1: Yeah, I I just think for me, it's quite natural to access these topics. Like, I don't know why, but ever since I was quite young, I might be in a bus and somebody in this bus ride might tell me, oh, you know, I'm, I'm trans, but I, you know, I haven't told my new friends and I don't want them to know. And this person might be a lot older than me, but we'd have a half an hour conversation of that process. And I think there's something where I find it easy to access people's fears and people's stories and people's vulnerabilities. And I I feel I take them with huge amounts of respect and I try to listen as best I can. And so because I have that, I just find it very easy to find connections amongst people that feel they have nothing in common. Like I, I love the idea of taking two people that say they have nothing in common and trying to find those similarities. And so I think my purpose is to in a world that feels incredibly fragmented and fractured to kind of just pop up those reminders that as different as we might feel, you know, you might think that an abuser and a survivor have nothing in common, but we do. And you might think that a terrorist and someone that's, you know, living in a completely different country have nothing in common, but we actually do. And I think it's that reminder that humanizes. And I think it's all about humanizing because i I really, truly believe in, in human connection and finding new avenues to empathize with each other, which I think is what's desperately missing, especially with social media. Poof, empathy is not really <laughs> existence. So that I think that's that's my purpose in a way.
0: It's fabulous. and And where you're using the visual imagery, you're to define to the The connectedness in this world, and to find the humanity, and remind us that, as you say, in a fractured world, that there is this so much incredible things going on, different experiences going on, and how you can, as you you say, come through various situations and disasters and circumstances and thrive. You're doing that through visual. I'm doing this through through the words. Through you know, to, you know, yeah. together. <laughs> you know, you're you're essentially producing the uh, the 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 movie to the soundtrack. You know, that <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Is, is it just imagery that you're doing, or do you have sound and and voice with it?
1: I do also do sound. So I've done a few TED talks. Um, one of which I think is coming out quite soon uh, that I did in Scotland called Reframing Justice, the comedy of a broken system. Another one was Reframing Fear. And it's, you know, the views of a, cin- a cinematographer's take. Uh and it's I, I do use speaking, I find that sharing my story has helped a lot of people. And my views of you know a lot of times people talk about sexual violence and they go, oh, these poor women. <laughs> and and I find that people often forget that this is not a male female thing. Abuse can be male and female survivors, can be like any gender, it can be any gender. And um, the more we try to genderize it, you know, the more we isolate specific groups. And so I think through speaking and just reminding people about this through the works, I oftentimes speak in tandem with showing the images. Um, I do workshops on sexual violence. I speak about law. I do lectures um, at several universities, sometimes to law students, which I found really fascinating that people were interested in that. I think, you know, the word parts emerging as I get older. When I was younger, it was all kind of being behind the camera until I realized that I actually wanted to take a stance. And that was the part where journalism started to fail me as a career path because you're meant to be neutral at all times. And I just felt there was a moment at which it's okay to say this is wrong and it's okay to say this must stop and this is the wrong direction of things. And I felt that I couldn't keep quiet. (laughs) <laughs> about it, so I think that's where the spoken word has coming is coming in,
0: and certainly I'm doing a lot more of that and what's to come, Melissa? what are we to expect from you? Ooh, magic no <laughs> um,
1: well, um, what's to come? so I'm doing as I mentioned, I have an exhibition at constitution uh, court in in south africa i'm working on a new exhibition that will uh, come out in may in johannesburg march 7th no may 7th 8th at new sculpture park hopefully trying to re-exhibit in the uk and this exhibition is meant to keep traveling and i think really it's just doing more projects through reframe house that reframe views on the world and change our perspective on things that you think you've seen a million times you think you've seen it you think you've got it but I would challenge you to look at it again. And so I think there's more of that. There'll be uh, a TED Talk in Spanish, which will be the first time I'm doing a TEDx in Spanish uh, in Mexico, which is interesting, <laughs> kind of the last frontier for me. But uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be pushing pushing this career forward in terms of visuals, multimedia and, and spoken word somehow.
0: That's fabulous. I, I love it. And hearing you speak so passionately about this and, and hearing you assert yourself and say that you're taking a stance that you know you're drawing the line and saying enough is enough and this is what what's to to be heard and and as you said you you're picking up on all the the forgotten people in the world you know the people who whose story are, are not are not able to articulate their story they're not able to to share their story and i feel that you're sort of going around and finding all of these sort of minority groups uh, not necessarily just minority groups you know that you're representing huge chunks of of people here
1: yeah and i think these are all topics that they're not as far away as we might think. You know, I've been in conferences in the UK where somebody comes to me and goes like, oh, wow, it's so amazing of you to, to work with these people. <laughs> you know, speaking about it like it's so far away. And I just go, well, these people, you know, is myself as well. And if you look around you, you know, you'll see that plenty of people have, and I'm not just talking sexual violence, I'm just talking about trauma in general, any kind of trauma, you know, losing a child, losing a sibling, um, having a traumatic car crash, having to battle cancer or some terrible disease. Like we are surrounded by warriors. Just a lot of us move through the world as silent warriors out of shame, out of embarrassment, out of fear, Um out of our own rights. We don't always have to be publishing our stories, but I just find that, you know, the more you put them out there, the more you realize, God, everyone's been through something, you know? And because everyone's been through something, everyone should be able to empathize with somebody being through, going through something, right? Even if it's a quite different feeling or a quite different experience, it's, you know, the feelings of trauma are kind of universal. It doesn't matter what culture, religion, or geographical position you're in you still feel the similar feelings, you know, there's shame, there's guilt, there's wishing things had been different, there's playing the record over when you don't want it to play anymore. All of this is universal, anger, frustration, abandonment, depression. You, you can get it. You can get the feeling of someone having been in a car crash, not because you've been in a car crash, but because you know that pain of going through something horrible. If we connect with that a bit more, I just feel we would be, navigating a much kinder world and we desperately need it everybody needs a little bit like I feel like everybody's going around needing a hug these days (laughs) and we can do that just by being a little bit kinder in the way we view things and in the way we communicate with each other
0: you know yeah I mean you spoke earlier about the compassion fatigue and how we become desensitized and do you apportion the online media place with that do you portion social media particularly to it i think it's not just that it's movies it's news i mean we're exhausted
1: the imagery bombardment and audio as well bombardment that we get every single day if it's not syria it's people dying of hunger it's um ukraine and russia it's i mean you could go on for days about all the harrowing things that are happening So you have to cocoon because you've got your own things to deal with. You've got to pay your own bills. You've got maybe your kids, your family, or you have to do things for yourself, right? But I think that the, the issue that that causes is that it makes us cocoon and feel like we're on our own against the world. Nobody gets what I'm going through. I can't get what other people are going through because it's too much rather than just realizing that actually we can all understand what everyone's going through. We get it, we we understand like way more than we give ourselves credit for. And the reason for compassion fatigue is that we're not allowing ourselves to just understand that being human is having all of these things. This multifaceted, as I mentioned before, the light and darkness, it's the pain, it's the sorrow, it's the joy, it's everything. You can see people in the most harrowing conditions have a laugh, have a chuckle, have, you know, and you can see people in the most beautiful conditions have a cry, you know? The, all of the emotions are playing at all times for everybody. And it's that reminder that every circumstance, we, we are capable of that empathy. And we don't need to connect with every single harrowing story in the world. We just need to realize that we can understand. If we just go, I can understand what you're going through. I think, I mean, that in itself is a, is a massive win. Because at the moment, we're just going don't get it, don't want to hear it, can't, no capacity, sorry, ram, ram, everything's full. (laughs) You know, if you just go, actually, I get it. I have a lot on my plate too, but I get it and I get you and I'm sorry. And that's it. That's all. That's the step that I think is enough to open a new channel of of viewing the world and of communicating. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And I just sort of challenge the, is it that people want to be understood necessarily, or do they just want to be heard? Gosh, I think it's both, you know, I
1: I think if you just ask for yourself, it's what do you want? Do you want someone to hear you and go, I don't get what you're talking about, but I heard you? Or do you want someone to go, I hear what you're saying. I might not even agree with it, but I can understand what you're saying. And it makes sense. I think that's much better.
0: Uh (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, what I mean by that is not necessarily that you don't have to have put yourself or experienced something to understand. It's a case of when you're listening to people and their stories that you are able to empathize but you don't have to to then put yourself in that scenario and say yes that's happened to me because that's almost the last thing people want to hear
1: yes that is patronizing (laughs) you don't want to patronize people you don't want to say oh yeah you had a stillbirth oh yeah no that's very painful I'm sure I know exactly how you. it's not that it's going gosh that must be horrible you know i I lost this or I had this and I remember feeling really broken up about it. It might be kind of how you feel. And just realizing that, you know, you don't have to have gone through the exact experience of somebody to kind of go, God, what you're going through, I think is really painful. Like I can empathize with that. I think that's enough, you know, and and you don't have to have lived the exact same thing to be able to, I think now that we have, you know, this, this world of propriety, Don't you dare say that you understand, you know, what a Latin person, I'm Latin American, what a Latin person going through what a black person going through what an Asian person going through you don't get it because you're unless you're the same race, unless you have the same, you cannot possibly fathom what it is. No, I get it. I can't. But what I can do is empathize with your struggle. From my own place right and I can offer at least that and rather than just reject it and not want to connect with it at all because because I'm not black or because I'm not this I can't have a say in them no it's our collective responsibility to say I'm not going to get seven billion people in the world's experiences of course I'm not but if I'm not open and receptive to empathizing with them then all we're doing is building more walls you know so yeah <laughs>
0: so you're reaching the masses, you're using your art as your as your way of speaking as your way of communication with people. you've got your human rights element at the core of you 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 are producing incredible exhibitions of art and you're traveling the world. you said you're working in fifty countries, and are your wings still broken
1: <laughs> funny funny you should say that um because by the end of the exhibition, I transformed that image into a holographic projection, which is a video that plays. And so basically these wings fill with feathers, they kind of move again, and then they lose their feathers all over again. And the reason for that is that I have found the healing of trauma to be cyclical in nature, hence me calling this whole project the spiral of containment. Because it's not stepping tones, it's not a ladder, it's not a linear journey. It's, oh, I'm healing, oh, I'm happy, oh, this is good, I feel strong, I'm empowered, I'm powerful. Oh my goodness, there's a family member I haven't seen in 10 years. Oh my God, this is really painful. Oh my God, my feathers fell. And it's, or it's the legal system, it's whatever. And so I think more and more, I feel more wholesome, but more and more I realize that the feeling of brokenness it's going to come at some point. It might not even be related to the incident that happened. It might be something completely different that I feel a a sense of brokenness or sadness or feeling like you're in a a dark space. But the, the best thing that I heard in therapy was, you know, you watch those things like a moving train. They're not permanent, they're passing. And the only way through is through the pain. That's for me, what I have found is it's okay to feel that sadness and pain and darkness, because as long as you know that eventually you will reemerge from it um, and you've been there enough times that you go, this will pass and it's not comfortable and it's not pleasant, but I'd fathom, I'd, 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 you know, I would venture to say that most people in the world have been in a space like that and somehow you can come out of it. It's a bit of a choice as well of not getting stuck there because It would be easy to just fall into depression and and choose to stay there. And I think that's a lot of mental choice not to, but it gets easier once you get unstuck over and over. So in answer to your question, I think the wings are fluid and they're in motion and they go through seasons just like trees, you know, and that is part of growth and part of being human, you know, Uh, that's what I think
0: love it and and I have to ask, did your lady, who was in her cage with a lion, surrounded her what happened to her
1: well she funny enough, I mean, after having expressed uh, people having expressed themselves in this way, which is the most fascinating part of the the process um it totally shifts people's journeys, and I'm not going to tell you oh, people are healed and they emerge with full wings right um but certainly, they start to view what happened in a different light. And I think it's helped a lot in their healing journey. One, one classic example is a woman that told me she was at the edge of the abyss with a broken dress. And so we found a building that had a little balcony that was many, many stories high. And we had a 200 meter dress that was all ripped that went up like 18 stories. And initially, it was going to be called a photograph that was called the abyss. After we shot this photo, like four hours later, six hours later, She said to me, Can we please call it the kingdom? And I said to her, Why would you want to call it the kingdom? She said, Because when I was playing with all the pieces of fabric, seeing how my hands could create this ripple effect through them, I felt like I was commanding all these broken pieces back into my life. And I felt like the queen of my kingdom. And I just went, God, that would have taken me a year in therapy. (laughs) Like, but (laughs) it was, it's amazing. And and it's not for everyone. And you know, some people might go, Okay, that was interesting. But I do think that for some people, it can be incredibly transformative. And for me, it certainly was. And I, th- I know for a lot of people in the project as well.
0: Yeah, so the senses uh, come into play here and, and the use of metaphor is so powerful. So you're talking about the touch, the kinesthetic sense of her, her feeling those different movements of the parts of the dress It's really powerful. Incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, and it's wonderful to be able to, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm just a photographer, cinematographer, whatever that has been through something. Right. And I just find that we're able to connect in such amazing levels and that people open up in such kind and generous ways. And, um, you know, when you have a camera, you, you really have a weapon of war on you, I feel. Because you take one photo a particular way and you could destroy something and you take it another way and you could build it. And I just feel it requires ethics and it requires generosity on your part as well to, to do it as right as you can. Um, so I think, you know, the trust that someone puts on you is is immense. Like I, I, I'm i in awe of all the people that just go, sure, do it. <laughs> access my psyche and put something out there. <laughs> it's like, okay,
0: yay. <laughs> yeah, weapon of war. Well, I guess that's why it, it shoots and that's why you have shots, you know, because... <laughs>
1: yeah okay. this is
0: so true yeah it's so fabulous Elisa, <laughs> it, it's been a delight how would people get in contact with you um they I mean I'm 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 very googleable but they can go to my
1: website elisa I'm at elisa on instagram uh, reframehouse.com also has all my details so yeah if, if they want to find me it's it's a very simple google away <laughs>
0: Yeah, no problem. Well, I'll put all your details into the show notes so that they can get hold of you easily. It has been an absolute delight. And I feel like I've been around the world in in literally the last few minutes, you know, not not in 80 days, but around the, around the world really quickly. <laughs> Have you got some final words for the audience, please, Elisa?
1: I would just say thank you so much for listening and making it to the end of this and really just Try to see differently for a few days. Try to use your eyes in a new way where you look at something that you've seen a thousand times and maybe wonder if there's something you might've missed. And if you can practice that with an apple, then I argue that you could do that with just about anything going on around the world today. And if we all tried to do this, I think that we would see a a better world coming up.
0: Thank you for listening to Focus on Why with me, Amy Rowlandson. To show your appreciation and to help other listeners understand what value you have received from tuning in today, please leave me an Apple Podcasts five-star review. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or join the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.